and welcome to How to Grow a Pod, the podcast about podcasting from the book How to Start and Grow a Successful Podcast by me, Jilly Smith. This is where you'll find the almost unedited interviews by the pioneers of podcasting, the hobbyists and the pros who feature in the book. This week, in the very first interview I did for the book, I'm Zooming with the entire team of My Dad Wrote a Porno, surely Britain's most famous and most unlikely success in podcasting. Alice Levine, James Cooper and Jamie Morton have been making media since they played around at their uni TV station and talk about how to make a homemade passion project into a multi-platform media phenomenon, when to monetize, and how to tell when something's really, really funny. Jamie, who wrote the foreword to my book, told me how it all began with his dad's secret hobby. It kind of organically became a podcast. I, um, obviously my dad was writing the books, um, kind of unbeknownst to anyone for, for a while. Um, and then he decided to show it to me, which was, it's always the part of the story that's the weirdest for me. Like, why would you send your da- your, your son your porn? It's weird. Um, but then I did read it, um, against my better judgment, and then kind of realised pretty quickly that it was unintentionally hysterical. So I did take it to the pub and read it to Alice and James and a few other friends, actually. There was a big group of us. Um, and we just were killing ourselves laughing, weren't we, guys? It just... It, it's one of those things that immediately just landed and we were, we were all like, this is gold. Um, and, and yeah, we, for, I mean, for a few months, we kind of just kept talking about it. Al particularly, like, used to read it to as many people as she could. Um, I sent her, like, the uh, the little... Word document, so she was kind of reading it to people, and then kind of it then evolved. We just we just couldn't get it out of our heads, really, and so um, yeah, we thought we should do something with it. Do something with it, and we'd always made stuff together since university. So, what do you mean you'd always made things together? Like what? We were at uni doing the student student TV station, so we kind of learned on the go how to use a camera and how to edit and how to produce stuff and record, and then from there we've all ended up working in media together in various forms uh but on the side we've always tried to have little projects that weren't necessarily meant to be seen or anything like that but stuff that kind of creatively kept our hand hand in and stuff that we actually wanted to make and we wanted to do just to keep keep flexing that muscle i guess um and and porno was was i guess one of those but one that we really believed in and thought we we really had a, a seed of a good idea and kind of importantly, you are all people who can spot a good idea in terms of content. You were in the business. We'd all worked in TV and radio for a little while, um, but I don't know if it was that that made us necessarily fall in love with Rocky stuff. I think it just really made us laugh, and there aren't that many things that make you belly laugh and kind of make you... Um, evangelise about it. And like Jamie said, like each of us went and just because we became a bit obsessed with his writing, told people about it. And I think that that was our initial litmus test. We were like, is it something that we can, um, is it something that makes other people laugh as much as it made us laugh? And whether or not it could be, you know, packaged into something else, it was like, let's just use that as our test, first of all. When we tell people about it, do they laugh? When we read them passages, do they lose it? And they did. And then I think that's when our skills in media possibly kicked in for how to make it a product. Just take me back one little step to that. So you were thinking, let's do something with this. I think that's the point I'm making. Because you're all in the media, you were like, okay, this is really funny. This is making everyone laugh. 
we can do something with this. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I think yeah. um, Serial had just kind of had its big moment. Um, so podcasting, was it felt like it was quite of of the moment. And then, because the, our kind of more, our, our kind of thing that we've made before was always video stuff, like YouTube stuff and things. Um, so audio is going to be a bit of a kind of change for us but we figured with the with the you know subject matter it being pornography we were like no one's going to want to watch it particularly how would we even visualize it if if they did so kind of audio became the obvious thing to do and also it's just so cheap to make a podcast like it literally is the three of us around the kitchen table with microphones um and so yeah i think that was kind of why we decided to do a podcast specifically and then we we did spend a bit of time thinking about the form of it and you know we wanted when we wanted to do it we wanted to give it its best possible shot so we we then spent some time developing what the product was actually going to be we ran it past jamie's dad obviously because jamie's dad needed to be involved and need to be happy with what well, we were doing the whole, family. whole family yeah uh and then yeah so i think it was like it was like june to october so maybe like three months of, of really like thinking about what it was going to be and making sure everything was in place can you take us back through that process a little bit what were you so I'm reading a brilliant book. I don't know if you've read it. Called Out on the Wire. Have you read this? It's amazing. It's a comic book about this American life and 99% Invisible. It is genius and it takes apart the whole process. So you get this American life team going through that process where they've come back with an interview and they're really drilling down and they're taking like 10 hours of material and really sort of trying to work out how does this work? How does this work? How does this work? And, you know, I'm comparing that with what sounds like, and it's very honed, this American life, you know, there's a kind of a, that narrative nonfiction is very kind of clever storytelling, you can tell there's a lot of time that's been put into it. But actually, what you're doing, kind of deliberately sounds like a homemade passion project, which is podcast gold. How much time did you spend getting that feel? Um, it was it was something that we were quite aware of like from the beginning because because it was my dad and you know these are my best mates and they've known my family for ages we were a little bit unsure of you know would people find it as funny as we did did you, did, did you have to know my dad to find it funny did you have to you know know us which is why I was saying you know we would show it to people and then we got a good feedback that way um but tone was always really important and we talked for ages like hours didn't we about what sort of tone we wanted to strike because we, we, we always wanted it to feel like we always say we want the listeners to feel like the fourth friend round the table with us and not someone kind of peering in through a window and eavesdropping on our conversation. We wanted to make it feel like as inclusive as possible an experience. And um, so that took quite a long time for us to kind of work out exactly how we would achieve that. But I'm really glad that we spent that time initially because I think it was it, it really meant that the show um, started kind of with a really strong kind of... Um, yeah, feel. Yeah, it just made it just, it, and, and it's been quite consistent from the word go. It hadn't, we didn't let the show find its feet within the first few episodes. It really came out fully formed, and that was all of that initial prep that did that. I think. And it's really interesting that there is a process to it. Um, I mean, you, yeah. you know, I know that you deliberately record around your dinner table. You do it over over dinner. Have you have you eaten by the time you're recording? Yeah, we don't eat as we speak, which would be potentially unpleasant. And is a radio no-no. I don't know about podcasts. Um, but uh, yeah, well, definitely um, when we've had guests, we want that experience to feel like it's social. So we'll have some drinks, we'll have some food. 
and that absolutely results in a more loose feeling chat because it's never an interview we don't get people on the show who are on the promo trail it's just people who really love Rocky's work um and then for the three of us like Jamie says it's always followed the same format and that's kind of a bit of chat a bit of establishing our week a bit of kind of talking amongst ourselves recapping where we were at and then diving into what is the heart of the podcast which is the 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 chapter and I think what we always thought was, well, we know that we're not professional comedians, but we think we can make this really funny. So let's give ourselves the best chance at that. And that's to record more than we need and then use Jamie's skill set, which is being a professional editor, to really crunch that down to the best half an hour, 40 minutes that we can give somebody. So we really tried hard to make it sound loose, if that makes sense. You know, that was definitely something that we wanted, but we also didn't want it to be an hour and a half of stream of consciousness. I mean, that's kind of, for me, when podcasting doesn't work, you know, when there's no shape, when there's no kind of producer element to it. It's interesting, Alice, you know, your day job is a, is a Radio 1 presenter. Jamie, you're an editor. James, what do you do? I'm a TV producer. So you're all people who are thinking about how to craft stories. And, you know, whenever I'm doing an interview, I, I always think back to, and interestingly, in the Ira Glass book, they talk about cutting tape. You're thinking about the edit as you're doing the interview. You know that you're not going to have too much slack because actually you know what you want. Um, And I wonder how much that kind of editorial sort of consciousness is there when you're actually recording or is it all done in the setup? (laughs) Alice has pointed me... I'm constantly thinking about it. And I'll sometimes, like, it's really funny. Sometimes those two will go off and, like, on, a, on a tangent and I'll kind of oddly, like, glass over and they'll be like, oh, look, it's never going to make it. They, like, know from my reaction to something. If I've kind of checked out mentally, I'm thinking about something else, they're like, he's already cut that out mentally. It's not even <laughs> in the show. We haven't even finished saying it and it's not in the show yet. Um, so, yeah, I am always trying to... And I think we all do that, to you know. And we're also very aware of it not feeling like... Um, we're waffling on about our own lives. I think one of the interesting things about the show and how it's evolved um, was, in, like, for series one, initially, we were very quite... We were, we were actually quite strict with ourselves. We were like, look, it's called, it's called My Dad Wrote a Porn. It's about, it's about Belinda Blinked. Let's really give people that as the majority of the thing. And then as people get to know us over a few series, then we can start feeding more of ourselves into it, a bit more of our background. Because, you know, initially, no one really knows who you are. And if you kind of throw all of your crap at somebody they're not going to want to kind of go on that journey with you so we kind of were quite careful about how much of ourselves we kind of released to the audience when um and now the show's kind of not 50 50 us the book but like a good probably like 40 60 i'd say whereas season one is very much book focused so i think we've always been thinking about that you know what's an audience here for what 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 is their threshold of interest in whatever we're talking about and i think that's really kind of define the show and the way it's evolved for sure well I mean you in many ways you've got a very sort of classic storytelling format you've got you say something Jamie you read something from the book and then you all three reflect on it and you know that's biblical isn't it I mean you know that's been going on since storytelling began but what what's also interesting is that and and that gives a format for the show. You know, we we know what to expect. If ever there's the conversation is flagging a little bit, Jamie will pick up and he'll read some more, and and you know where you're going to. So you, as a listener, you never feel uncomfortable. But you've the other 
bit of storytelling that's really interesting is you've got this kind of ongoing chapter reading, but the characterization of you three is developing all the time in terms of your responses. We kind of always know how each one of you are going to respond in a slightly different way. You can't really have have set that up in advance. That must have been fairly organic, wasn't it? Yeah, I think there's been some happy accidents as far as the show and like what's nice about the our three dynamic is like you say we bring very different perspectives um which which makes it feel like no there's no kind of repetition or and like you say we you, you, as the audience you've also almost come to expect certain ways certain responses from particular people and things like that and it helps you kind of put us in a little like character box i guess and be like oh that's that's Jane. Like, it, yeah, we kind of become three distinct characters at that point. But I think that's something that's like the book falling into our lap. Is just something that we kind of naturally had from the start that we didn't necessarily. That that's just helped the shape of the show. I think the only thing I would add to that is that we do, because we do have this long record time, and because I would say Jamie and James particularly have that really good editorial head on them we do do pickups and we do like have moments where we go oh actually do you know a thing that we missed is you know everyone's going to ask why he didn't go through you know to that room that he mentioned in the last chapter so we have this ability to be like oh actually we we we, we must cover that off so we can all have our natural reactions and then I think we've all always got in our head well we're sort of the voice of everyone listening as well and that's what people tend to tell us oh you know James or Jamie or Alice say the thing that I was about to say so we do have that great safety net of being able to go oh actually it's not live radio let's make sure that we acknowledge that or let's make sure we call back to that thing that we already know um so that's a really a, a useful thing um, and, yeah. and also to pick up on what Jamie said before, he'll sometimes say, can you just give me this um, this in line again, just to make it easier for the edit, which means that joke's never going to make it in. <laughs> <laughs> so what about um, all the other platforms? The two things I really want to talk to you about is the kind of the, the, the monetization. You know, at what point did you start getting, you know, thinking that you could monetize it and how you did that and all the technicals, the ACAST and all that sort of stuff. But let's talk, first of all, about the other platforms because it's so much more than a podcast you know the stage shows the 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 book the you know the I mean Rocky himself has got a whole career out of it how how, I mean again was that fairly organic yeah yeah I I think things kind of like Jamie said before like we started this when serial was a thing but podcasting I mean podcasting had been around for years obviously but it was having this kind of second wave and I don't think its potential had quite been tapped into yet so there were certain things, like certainly at the beginning, like with the early success of it, opportunities were coming our way and, and we were thinking, oh, okay. So I think the, the book was the first thing that we had the opportunity to do. But I think we were thinking early on as well, you know, there could be other iterations of this. This this could be a multimedia experience. And then I think someone approached us about doing some live shows. Um, and now as, as time's gone on, and as time's gone on, I think we've, because we were hoping we'd find an audience for it, obviously, otherwise we wouldn't have done it. But I don't think we quite anticipated the scale of success the show has had. Um, so as time's gone on, we've learned to be better at strategizing for that and kind of planning what routes we want to take with it and making sure whatever we do with it and wherever we take it, it feels right for the product and that the podcast is always the the heart of it. I yeah. yeah. With whatever we do, we make sure that 
whatever new iteration, it has a real purpose for being in that format, whether it's the HBO show or the live show. Like, we just we 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 never want to do something just because we've been offered it. It really has to be right by by Belinda, and like, it's kind of you know catering for something that the podcast can't do. That's kind of always been our mantra with that, really. Which is why yeah. there's only one series a year, really, because you know it's special and that source material is really special. And I think that we treat it that way whenever we spin it off into something else. You know, we think it's it's finite and also it's such a treat. And, and, and we think of it like that as well when we get to read it. Um, and just on off the back of what James said about, you know, like we looked for an audience and we found an even bigger audience than we'd hoped for. I think we definitely put the infrastructure in place, though, for if it did take off, you know, we'd commissioned music, we made sure we had a logo, we had a website, we had all of our social media in place, because I think all of our experience to date on other productions had said to us, be consistent, you know, put it out on the same day, like Jamie said, find your tone and stick to it, know what you're making before you put it out. And also, um, you know, put your money where your mouth is, if it's even if it's not literally money, but put your like kind of time and energy where your mouth is, if you like, and, and make it look like you mean business. And I think we weren't apologetic. We were like, okay, well, we want it to look like the real deal because we do care about this. That's really great advice, I think. And I think that that is one of the things that sort of divides the podcasting world. You know, in the one way, I love its Wild West pioneering spirit. But at the same time, you kind of get that kind of quite amateurish, oh, that'll do type thing, which, you know, accounts for a lot of the waffly, you know, two-hander stuff that just needs a great big edit. But there's an intention about yours that is feels, as I said, like, you know, the, the absolute podcasting gold, the ho- homemade passion project. But you've put a lot of work and a lot of time into it. Tell me about the point at which, but the point where it made sense, the money was coming in. So the time you were spending on it, because you'd already said you spent three months before it actually went live. That started to make sense in terms of money coming in or attention. We were quite... We were quite, we were with ACAST from, from day one, um, but we were quite clear, kind of in conversation with them, that we didn't want to monetize the first series. It was a real kind of opportunity to audience build and get a community get going. Um, Why would the ads have stood in your way? I think we felt it was off-putting, because there was, we didn't have loads of precedent, actually, because, like James was saying, although obviously podcasts have been around for a long time, we were at the start of this renaissance and I think we felt like perhaps we had to earn the right to have that interruption to the product even though it's a free product we just weren't sure what the audience expectation is which is you know completely clear now every podcast I listen to has adverts on it and it kind of doesn't even really register um but I think at the time we felt like it could be an impediment to people coming back and that was just that was a guess that wasn't really based on anything um empirical that was just kind of our feeling that it might be a bit of an unpleasant listen I mean I don't is that what we thought well also like most advertisers didn't want to touch us you know this was before we were my dad wrote a porno now this was a tiny podcast that had just started about pornography I don't think we were the we were at the top of most um buyers lists to be honest and I think what was interesting when we first got our our first ad was that it had kind of Podcasting had had evolved to a point whereby having one of those host reads almost legitimised your podcast. It, it kind of meant that you were a proper podcast. You know, you, you were up there with Serial and, yeah, This American Life and things. You know, if you can get one of those 
This episode is brought to you by, you know, HelloFresh or, or Squarespace. Yeah, the classic Squarespace or MailChimp. You know, it really felt like you kind of arrived as a podcast, which in an odd way legitimizes your show and makes it one of the, the bigger shows because obviously not every show gets to do host reads. So it is, it is an interesting dynamic, the advertising on podcasts, I think. And I can't remember as far as when the money, like when... God, it must have been a, a year before we started to... It was, yeah. It was season two. ...monetize in any way. Yeah. We'd certainly worked on it for a while, but we were fortunate enough that we all had day jobs, and we've we've always had Still day do. jobs yeah. as long as... We, well, or, or other sources of income as long as we've done it, because we've always wanted to make sure that we were making creative decisions for the right reasons rather than just to pay the bills. Uh, and so how long will it? How long will it continue? Can it continue as long as Rocky's still writing the books? Oh Lord above! <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we've we've always been quite um, relaxed about it. To be honest, we we always just think for as lo- for as long as we're having fun making it, let's make it. You know, it isn't really. We've never thought too much about you know a five year plan or anything like that. It really is kind of like Al said. You know, it is as a social activity as much as anything else for us, and it is just a way that we get to kind of flex creative muscles that we can't in other parts of our work. So I don't know, really. I mean, I think it, it, you know, could go on. I mean, there are certainly things that we're looking at outside of the podcast, more in the branding of it, that could be potentially interesting. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, who knows, really? JB, your dad's written, what, nine books or something, hasn't he? Yeah, Yeah, I I actually don't know how many he's written at this point. Um, But yeah, so so we'll we'll, we'll never run out of dad's material. That's fine. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's not the point. Creative decision, not a... One of necessity, I think. Also, lockdown will have been a very fruitful time. There'll be 40, 50 books by now, I'm sure. We're also, it's so un- it's such an unusual thing compared to other series to compare it to something that perhaps it doesn't deserve to be compared to. But, you know, something like Game of Thrones. Obviously, people who work on Game of Thrones know where it's going and you can kind of plan for that. Whereas with Rocky, I mean, James and I don't know anything till the day. Um, Jamie has a cursory look now and then uh, and then puts it down for months on end. Um, And I think that that is sort of, that keeps you on your toes as well because we can be midway through a series and something happens and we think, well, let's do something with that. Let's turn that into a, you know, an event or a thing. Um, And so almost planning for it, I think, I mean, just, Working with Rocky means you learn not to plan too much. Uh, he's 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 definitely the boss. He's definitely the boss. Fantastic. Right. Last question is about building um, a community that will listen. Again, going right back to the beginning, how did you start? Did you start on Instagram? Twitter initially was our biggest one, actually. I think because you could really kind of track who was talking about you. Um, it's easier, I think, for spreading that sort of thing. Instagram has become a much bigger social network for us, and in terms of selling tickets and things, it's it's our main driver for that, isn't it? I mean, we we sold out our first world tour on Instagram alone, pretty much, which is amazing when you think about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think also because of the story of it, the whole you know me and my dad angle. I think a lot of um, press outlets were quite interested early on. I did quite a lot of interviews. We all did actually. Um, with various people, like I, I wrote, you know, articles for the Telegraph and things, which I think helped kind of distinguish our show and make people take note of it. And also the title, you know, it is a bit clickbaity. That was another, you know, deliberate choice. We wanted to stand out. Um, and then as we kind of got a little audience, people like Alice always says, like people are really an, um, kind of evangelical about podcasts and they really share their favourite ones with their friends. I think that word of mouth thing was really important for us. Um, but James is kind of the big social person, actually. I should probably let you speak. 
Well, we, I was just going to say, we tried to make it feel like a club, like a, like a family almost. Like, quite early on, we named... It was the time of, like, everyone named their fans. So, like, we kind of collectively with the audience decided that we had a group called the Belinkers, which were the listeners of the show every week. And um, we, we called Monday Porno Monday. We called it Porno Day, sorry, so that there was an appointment to listen every Monday. Because we were like, I think, I think that was part of our decision-making as well, that Monday, you know, first day back at work, you wanted something to take your mind off it. Porno Day was that. And then quite early on, we also introduced... Uh, the first seven episodes are just the weekly chapters, and then episode eight, we started introducing footnotes. Uh, because we realised like the audience were bringing in a lot of things to our attention and had a lot of things to say. And while we didn't want to put that into the main show, footnotes could be a great opportunity every Thursday to utilise all that content and to have a proper dialogue with the audience. And to like talk about all the additional stuff that was happening around it without disturbing what made the actual episode so special. And also so, getting celebrity guests on has been quite a helpful marketing tool as well because obviously you open yourself up to their fan base and a lot of our interviews have like made national and international news like Emma Thompson's one particularly made, made a lot of news in that and I think that really helped kind of bring new listeners to us as well. I think, I think we also decided on the word of mouth thing from the get-go that with podcasts maybe uniquely compared with films or books or you know other things that people are consuming I when I have a podcast title sort of pushed at me I, I I'm, I'm kind of a bit I'm sort of um a bit turned off by that whereas if a friend comes with that recommendation who I feel yeah. like has you know knows my taste and has curated a list of recommendations I'm so much more likely to listen so I think we were really careful not to, we didn't advertise it we didn't want it to be pushed in a way that felt like there was you know we are a we're a homegrown production and we're very we are very DIY and I think there's in a way it can be a bit of a, um, a turn-off if you feel like there's some big machine behind it which there never was but I think because my dad wrote a porno has taken off in the way that it has sometimes people think that it's part of something bigger and and I yeah. and I think the thing that's really enjoyable about podcasts is that you can feel like you've followed something and it's grown um and and I think people are invested in that growth that feels natural so I think we just never wanted people to feel like that had some somehow been synthesized by some massive fat cat or conglomerate um because it hasn't so yeah and it's terribly important isn't it podcasting even though it's become so huge it's still got to be that kind of homemade amateur wild west make up your own rules there's a kind of a democracy about it it's like we commission our own staff it feels free and it has to any any kind of and i wonder if the advertising or the sponsors kind of get in the way of that i think people well possibly i mean from being a consumer and a producer i do feel i feel like people are very forgiving and understanding of that um I think we do we definitely do things with our show to try and make that experience better you know we try and place advertising in a way that doesn't cut through the content and you know we don't put we don't put in the maximum amount of ads that we could put in you know we're very careful about what we do but as yeah I mean Jamie Jamie and I always joke about uh, Alec Baldwin doing his beef mignon advert for Blue Apron I mean there's something slightly bizarre and amazing about that about hearing him talk about peppercorn sauce (laughs) Um, so I don't know. They've kind of, they've been pastiched so much, haven't they? Podcast yeah. adverts. So 
I don't know. I think people are sort of just used to it now, but... And I think there is a, yeah. there is an understanding that, you know, you, you do need to pay for content. I think, you know, there is an understanding of that within the consumers. And I think increasingly so. I think people are get, kind of getting that, oh, podcasts aren't just thrown together. I mean, some are, obviously. But, you know, a show like ours actually takes quite a lot of planning and producing. And I think people are quite respectful of that. Thanks for listening. You can buy the book How to Start and Grow a Podcast by me, Julie Smith, featuring all the interviewees in this podcast at any bookshop or go to juliesmith.com and click on the bookshop tab. And join me next week when we meet UK podcast pioneer Holly Mann, co-presenter with Helen Saltzman of Answer Me This and presenter of The Week Unwrapped and The Modern Man. Mm-hmm.